Our Old Testament lesson this morning, uh, spe- speaking of things that are weird, we have our Old Testament lesson, our New Testament lesson, sermon text, all dealing with things we normally don't talk about or deal with. So, um, yeah, Ezekiel chapter 13, verses 17 through 23, where we'll begin. You will see pretty quickly what I'm talking about. This is Ezekiel chapter 13, verses 17 through 23. can be found on page 1305 in your pew Bibles. Still call them that. Ezekiel 13, 17 to 23. Before we read, let us pray. Is it not that? Oh, do we have the small ones down here? <laughs> All right. In your basement Bibles, then, it's a different number. <laughs> gotcha. I didn't realize that. All right. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for this day that you have made. And we thank you for your word that you've given to us. We pray that you would help us to hear your word today. God, that you would uh, give us ears to hear. That you would give us uh, minds to understand. That you would give us hearts that are ready to receive it. And God, that by your word and your spirit, uh, that we would be empowered to live it in our lives today and every day. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Ezekiel 13, starting in verse 17. It says, Now, son of man, set your face against the daughters of your people who prophesy out of their own imagination. Prophesy against them and say, This is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to the women who sell magic charms on their wrists and make veils of various lengths for their heads in order to ensnare people. Will you ensnare the lives of my people but preserve your own? You have profaned me among my people for a few handfuls of barley and scraps of bread. By lying to my people who listen to lies, you have killed those who should not have died and have spared those who should not live. Therefore, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. I am against your magic charms, with which you ensnare people like birds, and I will tear them from your arms. I will set free the people that you ensnare like birds. I will tear off your veils and save my people from your hands, and they will no longer fall prey to your power. Then you will know that I am the Lord, because you disheartened the righteous with your lies when I had brought them no grief, and because you encouraged the wicked not to turn from their evil ways and so save their lives. Therefore you will no longer see false visions or practice divination. I will save my people from your hands, and then you will know that I am the Lord. Gospel lesson from Luke chapter 11, dealing with similar kinds of things. Luke 11, verse 14 through 28 on some page. Where is that? 844, thank you. Luke 11, 14 through 28. Jesus was driving out a demon that was mute. When the demon left, the man who had been mute spoke, and the crowd was amazed. But some of them said... By Beelzebul, the prince of demons, he's driving out demons. Others tested him by asking for a sign from heaven. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and a house divided against itself will fall. If Satan is divided against himself, how can his kingdom stand? I say this because you claim that I drive out demons by Beelzebul. Now, if I drive out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your followers drive them out? So then, they will be your judges. 
But if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own house, his possessions are safe. But when someone stronger attacks and overpowers him, he takes away the armor in which the man trusted and divides up his plunder. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. When an impure spirit comes out of a person, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house swept clean and put in order. Then it goes and takes seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there. And the final condition of that person is worse than the first. As Jesus was saying these things, a woman in the crowd called out, Blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. He replied, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, this week, we are looking at a passage in Acts that I told you last week we were going to be looking at. And I said we would be looking at it this week and for you to go ahead and send in any questions you have in advance. And I received no questions from anybody all week long, so I am going to assume that everybody understands it fully, and we can just read it and go home. So here we go. We'll see. <laughs> we will see if it's really as straightforward as that. Um, this is Acts chapter 19, verses 11 through 22. And, well, this is when Paul is in Ephesus, and we read last week how he's been in Ephesus, um, spent two years there, which is much longer than he normally spent places. And here's what was going on during that time, starting in verse 11. It says, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul, so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick, and their illnesses were cured, and the evil spirits left them. Any questions so far? You got it? All right, fine. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. And they would say, In the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. One day, the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I know about, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. When this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with great with fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. And after all this had happened, Paul decided to go to Jerusalem, passing through Macedonia and Achaia. After I have been there, he said, I must visit Rome also. He sent two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, to Macedonia while he stayed in the province of Asia a little longer. Everybody got it? We ready to go? (laughs) Any questions at all? Let me ask you some questions then. When it says at the very beginning of this passage that uh, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. 
Is that normal? Is that the way God normally does things? It's, I am intentionally asking you a trick question. This is, um, depending on how you take that question, the answer is either yes or no. So, let me explain the variety of ways you could take this question. Is this the way God normally does things? Does God normally uh, have <laughs> things like handkerchiefs that somehow carry his healing power? Is that how he normally does things? No. What about this? Does God normally do things to get people's attention so they will turn to him and hear about him and come to know him? Yes, that's what he normally does, isn't it? (laughs) You could say, that's right. And so if you think about this in a different way, uh, like this is one of those where people tend to take this and say, oh, if that's what's happening, that's what God does. The specific event is what needs to be repeated over and over. That's what God does is he heals people through handkerchiefs. So we're going to now get a bunch of handkerchiefs. I actually heard of um, someone taking a whole basket full of handkerchiefs to um, the place in Jerusalem where Jesus is believed to have been buried and where there's a stone that he would have uh, laid out on and taking a whole bag of handkerchiefs and just taking them out one at a time and rubbing them on the stone and then putting them in another bag and just one at a time and going through this because now these handkerchiefs, hey, they must have this healing power. But that's trying to repeat the specific event. Here's another example of that that I think will help us with this. And that is, if you think about Moses and the burning bush, we know the story, right? Moses is out tending the flocks of his father-in-law Jethro. He's out there as a shepherd, and then he notices that there's this bush that's on fire, but it's not burning up. Gets his attention. What is that about? So he goes over to it to find out what it's about. And what it's about is this God getting his attention (laughs) and saying, all right, now that I've got your attention, here's who I am. Here's what I'm calling you to now go do. And so we could read that story and say, all right, this is how God meets with his people. It's in burning bushes. So if we want to hear from God, forget reading this. Let's go try to find some bushes. <laughs> and that would be trying to repeat the specific thing that doesn't get repeated and missing the general principle of God getting people's attention so that they can come to know him. And in all of these ways, he does reveal things about himself. Uh, we can look throughout the Bible at all these different miraculous things that happen And so much of the time, there are two things going on. One is just getting people's attention who need to have their attention gotten. And then two, a way of revealing something about God. And so even in the burning bush incident, you have this bush that is on fire and yet it's not burning up. And, you know, we look at uh, like Pentecost was last week and so you see these disciples who are with the flame, what looks like flames of fire on their head and yet they're they're not burning up. You see the... uh, the people in, um, in Daniel, when they go into the, the fiery furnace and they go in to the fire, but they're not burned up. And then Peter talks about this later in his letter that he writes where he talks about us being refined as those like, like gold. It's being refined through fire. And so it goes through the, gold, or it goes through the fire, but it doesn't burn up. And so uh, even in the burning bush, God is telling Moses something about himself. He's revealing something about himself that uh, though this bush is on fire, it doesn't burn up. And so it does uh, get Moses' attention and reveal something about God. 
I think this particular instance is something similar, where these handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched Paul were to get people's attention, that they would then turn to God and say, what is, what is this? What is this message? What is going on here? But also that they would learn something about who God is. And it's not about magic. It's not about magic tricks. It's not about uh, lucky charms, not the cereal. Those are magically delicious. This is something else. But we read in Ezekiel, it's, God is not okay with that sort of thing. And so that can't be what this is. This is something else. And I'll get to what it is in a little bit. But let's go to what it's not first, because this is also where, where the people kind of missed it at the time. Some of them anyway. So you have uh, these extraordinary works of power. By the way, you should know that it's not the normal thing that happens just by the word extraordinary. It's extraordinary. It's not the normal. And so this is what's happening. But then you go into verse 13 and following. And you have people who are saying, all right, if this God that Paul is preaching, if this, if this Jesus, if he's got this powerful name, then let's use it. I mean, that's like abracadabra or hocus pocus or alakazam. It's just another one of those. If, there's, if we can come up with this magic word that can somehow have power, let's use it and do things with it. And so that's what you see them doing, is using this name of Jesus. And, um, and so they'd say, in the name of the Jesus whom Paul preaches. That's what, that's what they're doing. Using Jesus as a name, as though the name of itself, in and of itself is like a magic charm or a magic spell, a way to get whatever it is that they, their own desired uh, thing to happen. Do people do this today? Do people do this today where they use the name of Jesus without any real connection with him or understanding of who he is, but they've just sort of heard this name and they've understood that there's some kind of something different about him or something different about this name or something, there's some power associated with it and maybe, you know, if someone's sick, let's use the name of Jesus. Or if... uh, Maybe if we slap his name on our car, we won't get in wrecks. And we start using his name as a way of either protecting ourselves uh, against the evils of the world or uh, trying to cast out the evil things that we are afraid of, even though we have no connection with Jesus. That's what they were doing. And so we see not just in the name of Jesus, who is my Savior, but in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches. So you see the kind of levels of disconnect there. They're not connected with Jesus. They just know the name. In Matthew chapter 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, nope, it's not 5, 7. Matthew 7, Jesus says, um, Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not... Yeah, let me just look it up. It said, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? These are the kinds of people he's talking about, the people who are doing these very things now in Ephesus. Because many people are going to say, look, we did that. We drove out demons in your name. 
that's got to count for something, right? Isn't that good to drive out demons? Isn't that good to perform miracles? Isn't that good to prophesy in your name? And do you remember his answer to them? He says, then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Evildoers. They're prophesying in Jesus' name. They're casting out demons in Jesus' name. And they're performing miracles in Jesus' name. And he says, all of that is not good like you thought it was. It's actually evil because you are doing it apart from me. As he told his disciples in John 15, apart from me, you can do nothing. And that's what we see these guys doing. They're going around in Ephesus, and they are trying to drive out demons in the name of Jesus, but without any connection to him, without a relationship with him. Jesus did not come so that we could have a power apart from him. He did not come to give us a magic spell to use so we can get what we want. He did not come to become another idol or a false god. He came as the one true God who wants a relationship with his people so bad that he would do whatever it takes to make that happen. This is the relationship that they were missing. And then here's what happens. And those of you boys back there who missed this part of the story the first time through, you're not going to want to miss this. This is entertainment. <laughs> uh, beyond everything else. It says, so one day, uh, the evil spirit answered these guys who were doing this and said, Jesus I know and Paul I know about, but who are you? And then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. You don't see that on every page of the Bible. He gave them such a beating they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. And what is going on here? Is they're being exposed is what's going on the nakedness part, Uh, they're being exposed for who they are, that this, they didn't have a connection with Jesus. They hadn't, and because they didn't have the connection, they didn't have authority to speak in his name, right? If you can imagine somebody who is not a police officer and who goes and they take their fingers like a gun and they go... (laughs) And they go to a biker gang that is in the midst of causing trouble. And they go to them and they point their finger and say, you're under arrest. (laughs) It's probably not going to go well for them. They don't have the proper relationship with, uh, with our governing structure. They do not have the proper authority to act like that. And the biker gang will know that and probably treat them accordingly. That's what we see here. You don't have the relationship. You don't have the authority. You don't get to say. And so now they are being exposed um, for the frauds that they are. And now when this happens, it freaks everybody out. Because they've never known something like this before. And so we see when this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seared, they were all seized, not seared, they were all seized with fear. And the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. And then what happens is you have people who now see the difference between Jesus as a magic word and Jesus as 
God that we can now have a personal relationship with. He wants to have a relationship with us. He wants to give us life instead of death. And so what do they do? Just like in a children's sermon. They repent. They turn away from the way they were going. And what was the way they were going? It was the way of trying to use these magic spells and things for gaining power over the spiritual world in order to gain power in the physical world. And now they see they were going the wrong direction. And there is a different way. And so they bring all their scrolls, and they say, we're going to burn them. And I don't know if, uh, if you know exactly how much 50,000 drachmas is. It's a lot. I did a little math on it myself. In today's uh, 2018 dollars in the United States, roughly $2.9 million. That's a lot of scrolls with a lot of value. And there are reasons why they had so many scrolls in Ephesus. This was a kind of a thing for them. And, um, and yet at this point, though they had so much value, it's like what Paul says in Philippians 3. You know, all these things that I have in my spiritual resume, all these things that I was going for, all the direction I had set my life, it's garbage. It's all garbage compared to surpassing worth of knowing Christ. That's the thing. <laughs> and all the rest is garbage. And so now they've got all these scrolls. And they're like, I've put all my life into, you know, making these scrolls or uh, learning these scrolls or teaching these scrolls or using these scrolls. And all of my life has been around these things so that I can get what I want. And now I realize all of that is garbage. It's going in the wrong direction. All of this is standing in the way of me coming to know Jesus. And that's the thing. And so they take these scrolls and say, I don't want that anymore. And so they throw them in the fire. I don't know that we do enough of that today. Uh, and I don't, I'm not advocating book burning in any way. Don't hear me say that. <laughs> but I mean, I don't know that we do enough of looking at the things in our lives that are keeping us from a relationship with Jesus and saying, I'm done with that. I'm done with it. <laughs> And I'm not going back there anymore. But to truly repent and to turn around and to go a different way. Okay. There's that little bit at the end of um, Paul making his plans for future travel, which is important that he goes where he's going to go, and we will see that in the future. Um, But I want to take us back now to... um, this first two verses again. We see now what the uh, handkerchief thing was not about. It's not about coming up with magic charms and uh, things that in them themselves are containing this power to do anything. We talked about it. it was a way of God getting their attention so that they would be able to hear the message. And we see that it actually ends up going that way people do hear the message. They do respond, and they do want to have a relationship with Jesus. But I also want to point out how I said that uh, that when these miraculous signs occur, they are signs. They're not just attention-getters, but they also communicate something. And what is going on here with these handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched Paul... <laughs> And now they're healing people? What could that possibly be telling us? 
What do you think about this? If you were, um, if you were in a hospital, and they had the uh, the laundry service came around, they're stripping the sheets, and they put all the sheets from all the sick people, and they put them in a bin, and they take them uh, to the laundry room. Do you think that you would say, we don't need to wash these. These are fine the way they are. Let me just, I'll, I'll just take them home and put them on my bed. Would you do that? Why would you not do that? Because when these things have been in contact with something sick, what happens? It spreads the sickness to those who are healthy, right? That's what happens. That's the way things normally go. What's happening here, though? We have handkerchiefs and aprons not spreading sickness, but actually spreading health. Actually spreading, not death, but spreading life. This is something that we have seen before as we read throughout the Gospels. This is what happens with Jesus, right? That everything goes backwards from the way you'd expect it. When Jesus touches somebody who has leprosy, Jesus doesn't get leprosy. They get well. And so what we are seeing now is Paul has a connection with Jesus. So much so that the things that we see Jesus doing, we're seeing Paul doing. And the way that we are tuned into this is because we see that the things that are connected with Paul are doing the things that we see happening in the life of Paul. And so even these handkerchiefs and aprons are pointing us to the person who has a connection with Jesus, who is the one who is the giver of life. Does that make sense? These are not uh, magic charms that people can then take around and do whatever they want to with them. These are a way of getting people's attention and pointing to the one who came to give life. And it's not happening with these other people. These other people who are just using Jesus' name, nobody's taking the handkerchiefs from them right? It's all through this person who has an actual connection with Jesus. So where do we go from here? Two things. One, please remember to separate out the specific things that are not repeatable (laughs) from the general things that are repeatable. So that while this event we should not uh, expect to see again, we should expect to see God getting our attention and pointing us to a relationship with him. That'll happen in different ways all the time. Expect to see that. Don't expect uh, magic handkerchiefs. And then second, where do we go from here? Recognizing that the whole idea here is that people who didn't know Jesus would come to know Jesus. That people who were going a different direction entirely would come to know him. Start with ourselves. Are there things that we need to throw away, get rid of in our lives, repent and turn around from so that we can be closer with Jesus? And then, for those around us, how might, how might we get their attention where they could have a hearing, where we could have a hearing that they would come to know Jesus too. 
maybe, maybe you are the person that God is sending to get their attention. Not to tell them everything they're doing wrong, but to let them know of the one who loves them so much that he would do anything to get them back. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made. And God, we thank you for your word that you have given to us. We pray that you would give us understanding. God, that you would give us um, longer-term memories. That the things that we learn about who you are and the ways that you work in this world don't go just in one ear and out the other. That they would work their way into our lives, that these would become um, part of our own habits and muscle memory, that we would uh, that we would more instinctively trust in you instead of run from you or trust in our own strength. Lord, we pray. That as we go from here, we would go with you. That we would go confident of your love, of your mercy, of your grace. And that we would want nothing more than to know you and to make you known. We pray this in the name of Jesus who taught us to pray. Saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. Thine is the kingdom and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.